0: So if you want to back listen to some back stuff, go ahead. Okay, so um, when we say Torah, what is the Torah? What do you guys say? Okay, great. The Torah is one aspect and facet of the Torah is that it's a story, story of the Jewish people. And that really, especially, front and foremost, is the first few books of the Torah that we're in right now, which is really the story of our forefathers, the history of the world. And why is it important to read the stories of the Torah? Lessons. In, lessons of... Lessons of our people. Lessons of... What it means to be a Jew, the whys of life, which is why I love Jewish mysticism, and Kabbalah, because it focuses so much on why are we here, what's our purpose, who are we really, and the stories teach us our worldview of what it means to be a Jew, our beliefs, our purpose. Okay, great, and also uh, the characters, our heroes, who we want to emulate, our forefathers and our foremothers, and the way they lived their lives. Okay, what else is the Torah besides stories? Amazing. Lionel, love it. Love it. So the other main thing the Torah is, the Torah is a compilation of stories and laws. Rules. It's a guidebook. It's a guidebook for what we call Torah's Chaim. Do you know what the word Torah literally means? Literally means instructions. It's an instruction manual for life. How to live life in the best possible way. Instructions for living. And the Torah teaches us how to live like a Jew. And for those of you who were in my online classes last semester for, for Rage U, for the level two program, so we talked about, I gave a series on a guide to daily living, which was practical Judaism. How do you wake up in the morning like a Jew? How do you go through your day like a Jew? How do we take the, the laws of Judaism and explain how they connect to the meaning of Judaism? You can't have one without the other. You can't just have laws without meaning. That's like a body without a soul. We need the two. And that's that's really what uh, Jewish mysticism is all about, is bringing the spirituality into the physical, practical application of the laws. Okay, great. So there's two other things that I believe the Torah is, and or why we learn the Torah. One of those is, as it says in the Zohar, which is like the principle... A uh, written book of Kabbalah, it says that God now we think that like the Torah is describing the world right it's describing how the world was created somehow it's describing history, so that's not correct, according to Kabbalah, according to Kabbalah it's actually the opposite. Kabbalah says that God actually looked into the Torah and used the Torah as a guide to create the world. The Torah is actually a blueprint of reality. Now, we look at it and we see laws and stories, but that's actually just a covering. That's like the lowest manifestation of the Torah. But if you go deeper, you get to actually an instruction manual, the DNA of actually all of creation. So, based on that, there's a Hasidic saying that if you want to live in you know, live with the times. If you want to be up to date with current events, you know what you have to do? You have to read the weekly Torah portion. Because the weekly Torah portion is actually giving you direct insight into what's going on in the world. So another major advantage of learning the weekly Torah portion is it gives us insight into reality, a deeper picture. Right? When you read the news, you're getting a very surface level. If you open a science book on evolution or, or the Big Bang, you're getting a very surface level. When you look at the Torah, you're getting the deeper spiritual explanation of what's going on in the world. Not only in how it was created, but in what's going on every in everyday life. And the fourth reason or explanation of what Torah is that I want to share with you today is that. The Torah, the, on the deepest level, is actually God's will expressed in this world. So according to Kabbalah, the Torah itself, the entire Torah, is actually a name of God. That means that a name, whatever we'll get into maybe in future discussions, is really refers to your outward expression. The Torah is God's expression of himself to us. So when you learn Torah, you're actually intimately connecting to God himself. So a major, major uh, benefit of learning Torah is it's teaching us how to connect to the will of God, which is connected to the highest part of ourselves. The part of us which is intimately connected to God, the part of us which is a piece of God. And teaching us how to bring God's will into expression in the world. Okay, so. A lot to be said on all of those points but hopefully together we'll begin to unpack that and through the various topics that we go into in each week's Torah portion we will hopefully get a deeper understanding of current events of what God is and what God's will is and what that means to connect to God and as well as to the deeper meaning of the what the how the mitzvahs, the laws of the Torah, and the why, the meaning behind the Torah. Okay, so Rebecca, was that good for an introduction? Do I have a few more minutes to give an example? Can't hear you, but I believe you. I want to now jump in and just give a few, like an actual example from this week's Torah portion. Now, I want you to know that we could easily devote the entire semester just to this week's Torah portion. In fact, we can devote the entire semester to just the first sentence of this week's Torah portion, actually to the first word of this week's Torah portion, and according to Kabbalah, actually just to the first letter of this week's Torah portion. The Kabbalist said that the entire Torah can be learned out from the first letter of the Torah. Okay? So we could go really deep into just one letter of the Torah, and it would literally occupy us for months, if not years, of our life. But we're not going to do that. We'll just give a taste. So I want to begin first with just a practical applic- application example Of how the Torah is literally speaking to us today. So the very first. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Rashi. Has anyone ever heard of Rashi? Does anyone know who Rashi was? Rashi's real name. Is Rabbi. Shlomo Ben Yitzchak. And he was a medieval rabbi. He lived about a thousand years ago. In France. and. He was a a, a wine merchant, and he also, in his spare time, wrote the most basic and comprehensive commentary on the entire Torah and the entire Talmud. So Rashi is the number one go-to when you want to just understand the basics of what's going on in the Talmud or in the Torah. And... So, I just want to share with you one amazing prophetic message, literally the first message that Rashi gives us in the Torah, and see how it applies literally to us right now in this Zoom room in 2023, perhaps more than ever before. So, does anyone know how the Torah begins? Because we're going to talk about that in a second. The Torah begins in the beginning, right? In the beginning, Bereshis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's not a great translation, but we'll go with it for right now. The Torah begins in the beginning. And Rashi's very first statement in the Torah is, well, that's not where the Torah should have begun. We're like, huh? Where else should you begin? Says Rashi, really, it would have made more sense for the Torah to begin many 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 parshas later when the jews are in egypt and they receive their very first mitzvah the very first commandment given to the jewish people rashi says we didn't really need to begin with like all these pages were unnecessary the torah should have begun like in the middle where it starts giving us practical laws now that question in itself is very weird because we need to know like who wrote the torah we need to know who God is. We need to know the history of mankind. We need to know the history of Jewish people. But, so the question itself is a little bit strange. His answer is perhaps even stranger. Rashi says, no. The reason the Torah began at the beginning is because we need to know that God created the world. Do you know why we need to know that God created the world? Says Rashi, because someday the nations of the world are going to come to us. And they're going to accuse us of having stolen the land of Israel. The very first commentary of Rashi on the Torah. Someday the nations of the world are going to come and they're going to accuse us and they're going to say, You're a bunch of thieves. You stole the land of Israel. And we have to know, says Rashi, that God created the world. And he decided that the land of Israel should be given to the Jewish people. Okay now what what what's the message? Why is this the first message of the torah like why is he telling us that? Who's Rashi speaking to like who do you think he's talking to when he says that the Torah was written to and to told the world that God created the world in order to, that we should know that he gave the land of Israel to the Jewish people? Who's Rashi speaking to? who do you think his audience is with that statement? Is he speaking to the nations of the world, or is he speaking to someone else? How do you know he's speaking to the Jewish people? So if he's if he's speaking to the nations of the world, and they don't believe in the Torah, is that going to work? Is that a good proof? Well, you should know. In our book, it says God gave us the land of Israel. Well, <laughs> In, in the Quran, it says God gave it. Well, actually, the Quran says God gave it to the Jewish people also. But that's another discussion. Okay? But so it's clear that the message is for us. The world doesn't care what it says in the Torah. I mean, a lot of people in the world do care what it says in the Torah, right? There's billions of Christians and Muslims who do, to some degree, care about what it says in the Torah. But the reality is, is that Rashi's saying it's a message for us. We, we have to know what it means to be a Jew. The world right now, all of you, I'm assuming, are facing all sorts of negative statements about Jews and Israel. With your friends, if you're on a college campus, with your professors, with social media, with the news, just turn on the news. You're going to hear all sorts of statements about Jews in the land of Israel and how We are, uh, it's our fault what's going on and we don't deserve to be there. We don't deserve to defend ourselves. We need to be first and foremost clear that we have a mission in this world and we have to know and be proud of what it means to be a Jew. So the very first first statement of the Torah, Rashi is telling us we have to have clarity and confidence and pride. And in order to get that clarity, confidence, and pride, we have to learn what it means to be a Jew. So I that I believe that's the, the very first message. There's a lot more to unpack there. I think there's other messages as well. Rashi's explaining to us that the Torah really should have started with the mitzvahs because ultimately the Torah is a guidebook, has to come down to practical application. I think Rashi's also sharing with us the message that god is not only created the world but he's also involved in human history right it's not enough that he created the world and disconnected as many many philosophers have believed throughout history he's actually intimately involved in everything that happens in human history and in our own lives but ultimately we are learning a message that not only do we have to have confidence in our purpose But it also, it's not enough to meditate on God or to have love in our hearts, but it has to lead to actions. The goal of the Torah is action. So we're beginning with the philosophy. The Torah begins with philosophy, but the goal is to lead to action. It's not enough to know. It has to lead to emotional connection, which has to lead to action. So let's take one message. As I mentioned a moment ago, the Kabbalists say that you can learn the entire Torah and within that entire history of the universe from the first word and even the first letter of the Torah. So let's just study for a moment the first letter of the Torah. Does anyone know what the first letter of the Torah is? Letter base. Excellent. Ah. Who said Aleph? Sharon. Great. So if you were writing the Torah, what letter would you start with? Aleph. Aleph is the first letter of the alphabet. Right? Aleph base. For those of you who don't know Hebrew, Aleph base, Gimel. It's like alphabetic gamma. Right? The Greeks got it from us. Aleph base, AB, same idea. So you would think the Torah should begin with the letter Aleph. Now, for those of you who may not be familiar, there's something. Anyone ever know, ever heard of the concept of gematria? What is gematria? Exactly. The, the Hebrew letters are not merely sounds. They also can be learned by their shape. And they also can be learned by their numerical value. Every letter in the Hebrew alphabet has a numerical value. Aleph is one, base is two, gimel is three, and so on and so forth. So each letter has, is actually a numerical message, and you can learn things based on words that have similar or the same numerical value. So, so the, um, You would think the Torah should begin with the letter Aleph, the number one. It just makes sense that that's where the Torah should begin, and yet it doesn't. The Torah begins with the letter Bet, which is the number two. Now, that seems really weird. So why is that? Now, the Talmud asks this question and gives a very perplexing answer. The Talmud says as follows listen carefully, and I'm going to ask you a question about this in a second. The Talmud says the Torah begins with the letter base because, well, it couldn't begin with the letter Aleph because the letter Aleph is the same letter that the word Arur begins with, which means curse. So it couldn't start with the letter Aleph. But it started with the letter base because base is the first letter of the word bracha, which means blessing. Okay, that's what the Talmud says. It says that every letter came to God and asked if it could be the first letter of the Torah, asked if God would start the Torah with it. And there's different reasons given for every letter, and base was chosen because of the word bracha. Aleph was rejected because of the word for curse. Does anyone have any question on that Talmud? What's an obvious problem with that? Excellent. There are bad words that start with base. And what about the Aleph point? Yeah. Plenty of gooders start with Aleph: Amuna, faith, Amis, truth. Right? It's It's very, very perplexing. So, the Maharal. Maharal was a great Kabbalist who lived about four or 500 years ago in Prague. All right, famous for the story of the golem. If anyone's ever heard of the golem, when you go to Prague, hopefully on the Poland Prague trip, which I hope you all join if you haven't been already, Uh, Rebecca and I led the trip last semester. Ben was there. It was, uh, Batel was there also, right? It was awesome, and um, all over Prague, you actually have statues of the Maral and pictures of the Golem and all the bars. There's like Golem bars. The Golem is like a monster, like a Frankenstein, basically the precursor for the Frankenstein story that uh, the legend has it. The Maral created this monster, so to speak, that protected the Jewish people. Anyway, so the Maral says as follows, that the Torah doesn't Begin with the letter base because the word bracha begins with the letter base. No, that's not the the meaning of this Talmudic teaching. Rather, the Talmud is telling us that the Torah begins with the letter base for the same reason that the word bracha begins with the letter base. So, what does the letter base mean? It's very simple. Numerical value of the letter base is, what? Two. Two denotes the meaning of multiplicity, increase. And the word blessing means increase. It means you should have more goodness in your life. And we actually see that from the word bracha. The word bracha comes from a Hebrew root, Every Hebrew word has a three-letter root. It's called a Shorish, means a root. And if you understand the meaning of that root, you can understand that word and actually the relationship between that word and all sorts of other words that share the same root. It's unbelievable. Hebrew is different than all other languages. It literally, like, you can find connections that you would never realize were there. So the root of the word bracha is bareich. Which is made up of three Hebrew letters base, resh, and kaf. So if we look at the numerical value of those three letters, it reveals an unbelievable lesson. Base numerical value is 2. Kaf numerical value of kaf is 20. And the numerical value of the letter resh is, I'll tell you no? two hundred. The word bracha literally is two, two hundred and twenty, which denotes multiplicity in the ones, in the tens, and in the hundreds. So, the word racha literally embodies the idea of increase and multiplicity. So, why does the Torah begin with the word letter base? Because the Torah, in the word, the first word of the Torah, beratius, is essentially the Big Bang. It's the beginning of a world of multiplicity. What preceded the Torah? What preceded the Big Bang? And in fact, for those of you who are like, spooked out a little bit about like, well, the Torah says God created the world in six days, and it totally goes against science and evolution and Big Bang. So I want you to know that, do you know what is the Big Bang is the closest thing that science has ever come to? To the Kabbalistic explanation of how God created the world. Do you know that? In fact, for thousands of years, the scientific theory was that the world was always here. And there's like these crazy Jews who are saying, no, there was a beginning. There's a beginning. There's a beginning. Says it on the first word of our book. Says there was a beginning. And the scientists are like, oh, you guys are crazy. There was no beginning. Comes Big Bang. And suddenly it's like, you know what? Yeah, yeah, those Jews, they were right. There was a beginning. The Big Bang is the greatest proof of the Torah. But not only that, but according to Kabbalah, the beginning was literally an explosion uh, into physicality. So what preceded the Big Bang? What came before the Big Bang? Think about it for a second. According to the Big Bang, what came before the Big Bang? Big Bang was the beginning of space, time, and matter. That means whatever preceded the Big Bang was beyond space, beyond time, and beyond matter. Do you know what we call that? That which is beyond space, beyond time, beyond matter. God, in other words, the Big Banger, right? Something had to set off the Big Bang. Another way to express it is that the Big Bang was the beginning of something. So what was there before the Big Bang? Big Bang is the beginning of something. Whatever preceded the Big Bang was nothing. God is that no thing. God is the only thing that's not a thing. God is the only entity that's not a thing. Space is a thing. Time is a thing. Energy is a thing. Matter is a thing. Gravity is a thing. Every thing post-Big Bang is a thing. It exists within the bounds of a finite universe. God is the infinite that preceded the stuff. The canvas on which the universe is drawn, the material in which the universe came from, the source of everything. So the letter olive, the, which symbolizes oneness, is what God's essence. God is oneness, complete and utter simplistic oneness. When we say, if you haven't heard my class on this, just the short version, when we say, does anyone know the Jewish Pledge of Allegiance? Shema. The Shema is the quintessential statement of our faith. Does anyone know what the Shema states? One God. So people typically think the Shema says that there's one God, right? Just like the the Greeks and Romans believed in many gods, we believe in one God. But that's actually incorrect. The Shema does not state that there's one God. The Shema states actually that God is one. It doesn't mean that there's one being floating in space like the Russians believed, right? And the first cosmonaut went into space. Yuri Gagarin, they announced on Russian radio that we've disproven God's existence because we went into space and we didn't see anyone there. So we don't believe in one God, one being somewhere, supernatural being who controls our destiny. No, that's Zeus. That's not God. God is oneness. That means absolute and complete oneness. God is the nothingness that preceded creation. And God is still one today. Which essentially, when we say the Shema, what we believe is that all there is is God. This universe, this whole everything exists within God. We're literally within the matrix of God's mind. And actually, if all there is is God, so what are we made up of? We're made up of God. We're literally made up of God's thought particles. All right? That's all there is, is God. So we're just like a reflection of God's oneness, like white light shown through a prism. We're living on the underneath side of the prism, all the colors of the rainbow. We think we exist, but really we're just a refra- refraction of the light of God's oneness. So... The Torah couldn't begin with the letter Aleph because the Aleph is what preceded the Torah, the oneness of God. The Torah begins with the letter base, which is the beginning of a world of multiplicity. We live in that world of multiplicity. So, now, we'll end with this last point. So, if the Torah begins with the letter base, so, I I have a question now on that teaching that we just unpacked from the Maharal. The Maharal says that the letter base is the letter the Torah begins. For the same reason, the the word bracha, blessing, begins with base because it denotes multiplicity. And the word blessing means increase. So what's the problem with that? If the word blessing means increase. Is an increase always good? No. You can have a lot of a lot of suffering right so how what does that mean that the word blessing means increase so this is what i believe and it's this literally an insight that just came to me yesterday that's what i believe the word blessing really means the word blessing actually comes from the hebrew word which means a wellspring source a source so when we make a blessing before eating an apple or before doing a mitzvah, what we're really doing was we're saying that God, you are the source of this apple that I'm about to eat. God doesn't need our blessing, right? Like God doesn't need us to bless him. What it really means is that we're, we're attributing the source of blessing, the source of this abundance to God. So the word bracha literally means not increase. It means that it's an acknowledgement that the multiplicity in our life i.e. the stuff of our existence is really sourced in the oneness of God. So the meditation of making a blessing is actually that this thing, this apple, which looks like it's not connected to God, is actually directly and intimately a part of God. It's taking the two and returning it to the one. It's literally drawing the Aleph in to the base of this world. It's, it's, it's turning the 2 of our existence. We live in a world of multiplicity. We live in a world of disconnection. We live in a world where we do not see the oneness of God. And it's bringing that oneness in to the world of multiplicity. That is what the Torah is. The Torah is a guide to bring God in to our life. It's not about meditating on a mountaintop. It's about bringing spirituality in to the way we conduct our business, into marriage, raising children, eating. It's literally bringing spirituality in to your everyday physical life. That is the introduction to hopefully the Torah that we will learn together and literally a guide to connecting spirituality to physicality. I look forward to engaging in that journey together.